So, if you've been with us for well, however long it's been, you know we're going through the book of Matthew, uh, and we're going to continue on that course today. Uh, so, if you want to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 18, that's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we started there uh, last week, and we're going to finish the chapter today. So, before we get there, uh, in case you haven't been with us, or just for all of our memory's sake, to remember exactly what we've been looking at through the book of Matthew uh, in uh, the shortest way possible, what we can look at is through the book of Matthew, we've seen Jesus has been teaching and showing that the heavenly kingdom has arrived through him. The heavenly kingdom has come through Jesus. He is the king of the heavenly kingdom that has now entered the world. And then from, from that point, we see the rest of Matthew unpack. As we see Jesus teaching about the kingdom, we see Jesus demonstrating his authority in the kingdom. And so we've been watching that through these first 18 chapters, and it continues. And throughout that time, we've seen that Jesus has had several opportunities to teach his followers, to teach those listening, and those have become known, as we've been looking at it as a church, as Jesus' discourses on different unity that is in this new heavenly kingdom, as Jesus is our king, we must deal with sin in a healthy way. Sin in our lives needs to be repented of, and if we see sin in the lives of our fellow kingdom citizens, we will go to them, we will make it right by confronting them in their sin and bringing it to restoration. That all of us in the kingdom have the ministry of reconciliation, that we can reconcile one another to each other and reconcile one another even to God as we deal with sin in a way that is godly and loving and a way that is going to bring people to a place where they are not wandering any longer away from the kingdom, but are following the king more completely. And so a kingdom people, a kingdom church, will deal with sin and not shy away from that. They will deal with sin in their own lives, and they will deal with sin in the lives of others. And that's the first part of chapter 18. Now we enter the second part of Matthew 18, and don't miss how these two things we're going to talk about are right after one another. In the same chapter, these two things, there's a reason that this comes right afterwards. And I feel like a lot of times these two passages are kind of divorced from each other. They're, they're used in isolation, but remember that they go together for a reason. So everything we're going to talk about today does reflect on what we learned from last week in the first part of Matthew chapter 18 uh, as we looked at how we deal with sin. And so... Uh, what we're going to see today is that we must be a forgiving people. In the kingdom church discourse, we see that as a kingdom church, we must deal with sin and be a forgiving people. We must deal with sin and be a forgiving people. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this idea that the people of the kingdom will forgive. And so we're going to look at this uh, interaction between Peter and Jesus, followed by a parable that Jesus will give that will help explain his answer to Peter. And we'll get there Uh, in just a moment. And so we start in verse 21. And I'm just going to read verses 21 and verses 22. And then I'm going to read the parable altogether, which is verse 23 through 35. But let's start just by seeing this interaction that we have happen. Right after Jesus teaches uh, uh, the uh, church discipline passage, if you will, about how we are to reconcile one another and deal with sin, right after Jesus ends talking about this, we see that Peter comes up. And Peter, so in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or your translation may say 70 times seven times. So we have this interaction between Peter and Jesus. And can I just say I love Peter, right? So Peter is the guy who asked the question that everybody wants to ask, but nobody's really willing to ask. Have you ever known that person? Like, you feel like, I really want to ask this question, but I'm gonna, it seems kind of weird, and I don't really want to ask it. And then somebody else asks it, and you're like, thank you. Thank you for asking the question that everyone else wanted to ask. So Peter hears Jesus talking about how sin is to be dealt with, and if, if you, you, you approach sin, you confront sin, and when sin is repented of, then forgiveness is offered. That's the understanding in this part of Matthew 18 that we looked at last week. And Peter's like, okay, I get that. That's, that's great, but there's got to be a limit, right? So there, there's got to be a limit. Okay, Jesus, I get what you're saying, but there's got to be a limit to this because uh, this just doesn't seem right. That this, I mean, all the time, come on. There's, there's got to be something you're not telling us, Jesus. So he asked this question. And at first thought, you might think, wow, this guy really doesn't want to forgive people. But actually, Peter's being very generous. Let me tell you the why. Actually, it was a Jewish custom. Uh, and I, maybe this is where we got the three strikes you're out concept. But a Jewish custom basically said that if you could forgive somebody three times, but after that, no more. Like, it's done. So three and out. Like, you get three strikes, you're out of here. That was the Jewish custom. that They based it on some Old Testament thoughts. And, and so... Man, somebody sins against you three times, forgive them, but ah, fourth time, it's time to be done, right? So that was the understanding of the culture. So Peter actually comes out and, wow, you know, he wants to show that he's, he's, he's a loving guy, right? He's a forgiving guy. So he says, how many times do I need to forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, this is more than double what other people would have thought it should be. And so I think, I mean, this is my guess, Peter's kind of trying to say, you know, oh yeah, I see what you're saying, Jesus, and, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go beyond what the teachers would say, and I'm going to say seven times. And I think he's thinking, okay, that seems reasonable. That seems like a good limit. Like after seven, okay, you forgive them seven, eight, now, okay, that's getting a little too much. And so really, Peter is asking, like, what is the limit? He's testing the limits of forgiveness. That's what we see Peter doing here. Seven is better than three. He's already saying we're pushing the limit here, so we can't push it any further. Now, as we think about pushing the limit or testing the limits, as the title of this sermon is, we think about testing the limits, and this does happen in life, right? There's a lot of things that we do in which we want to see how far we should go or how far is, how far is acceptable or how far we need to go for a certain thing. Uh, and, and sometimes we like to uh, have this debate about how far is too far in this sense. Like, there has to be a point where I can stop doing this. So as a coach of baseball players, I saw this this year. Uh, I had a bunch of guys, I had this drill where they had to throw the ball around the bases, and they had to go, go all the way around the bases, and they had to do it a certain amount of times without dropping the ball. And so I, the first practice I said, I want you to do this, I think it was seven times, something like that. And and all the kids were like, oh, we can't do seven. Surely seven's too many. Let's do five. And I was a bad coach, and I said, okay, we'll just do five. Uh, but, and it still took forever. But later on in the season, uh, it was interesting because I would give them a number, and they would always try to negotiate. Like, oh, I think that's a little too much, coach. And I think that's a little too much. Eventually, by the end of the season, I just said, I'm going to give you a number. And they actually agreed to it. But the point was, is those, those players were, te- were saying, I'm going to, this is a little too, too much. I think you're testing us a little too much. We think about testing the limits. You might think about uh, if you're a parent, uh, a child who just knows how to push buttons, right? And they want to figure out how far they can go without making mom or dad blow up. 
So, you know, they'll, they'll do just, they'll, they'll figure it out, like, how far can I go here without before the limit is broken? And, and in that sense, like, we understand as people that we want to test the limits of what we can do and test the limits of what, what, what should be. And Peter is really testing the limits of forgiveness, and he's saying, forgiveness can only go so far. I'm thinking seven. I'm thinking seven is a good number. That's going to test the limits. It's going to push the limit as far as I can push it. I remember one time, speaking of pushing limits, that, okay, first of all, young people don't do this, okay? If coming, from, coming from youth pastor, young adult pastor, don't do this, okay? So uh, I was, I think, 17, uh, and we worked at a camp that was out in the middle of nowhere, so there's big open roads with hills, and I was riding with some friends when I was 17, and I had a little Dodge Neon uh, yeah, it was pretty small, but you know, my friends were like, I wonder how fast this thing can go. Like, how, what is the limit of how fast we can go? And so I remember we got on those roads and I, I got it and the thing was whining, it was crying. I think it got to like 85, which for a 17 year old, I've never been that fast. So I'm like, we're flying. We ramped the hill, thought we were going to die, hit a bird, destroyed the bird. And, um, and so again, don't do that, right? That's wrong. It was, a, it was a wrong thing for me to do. I thought it was cool. I got back and uh, I was dating Felicia at the time and she basically read me the riot act and told me that I should walk into the police officers or the police barracks and apologize. Didn't do that. Maybe I should have. But the point is, isn't it all in our hearts to say, okay, there's, there's, we, we want to push the limits of how far we can go with something. And, and, and Peter is even trying to do that. He's saying, I'm pushing the limit to seven. But Jesus is about to say, wait, your, your idea of pushing a limit, of testing the limits here, it's, it's way too shallow. It's way too small. Because then we see Jesus' answer. So Peter here, I love him because he's testing the limits. He's asking the question that nobody else will ask. What is the limit of forgiveness? Like surely, Jesus, there has to be a limit. There has to be a moment in which it's not going to work anymore. Just like with my Dodge Neon, there was a point where I wasn't going to be able to go any faster. And so where is that point? When is it that we can stop forgiving and enough is enough? That's Peter's question. And I think some of us will ask the same question in our lives. See, the question a lot of times we ask about things in life is how far is too far sometimes we ask that question about sin like how far do i have to go before what i'm doing actually is sin i think that's a very dangerous question we shouldn't ask that question we should really be asking how far can i stay away from sin but we also ask that question how far is too far in like how we live for jesus like how far is too far how much how much bible reading do i need to do before i'm good you know how many times do i need to pray a day before i'm good how many times do I need to go to church in a year so that I can feel good about it? Like, it, what is the limit? Like, how far is too far before I don't have to worry about it anymore? I think we might not ask that out loud, but I think a lot of us do that. And that's what Peter's really doing. And when it comes to people relations, it's even harder. Because it's like, this person has burned me two, three, four, five, six times. Well, maybe I'll forgive him the seventh. Like, that's what Peter's thinking. But like, don't we do the same thing? Like, we want to put a limit on how far we should go in following Jesus. Right? There has to be a limit because certainly, certainly there has to be because it's just not fair to expect us to be able to forgive all the time. It's not fair for us to have to do some of these things. So there has to be a limit. And Peter is asking this honest question and Jesus gives this great answer. And I think this answer is for all of us about forgiveness, also about following Jesus, that there is no too far. So what Jesus says in verse 22 is that forgiveness is limitless. 
Forgiveness is limitless. There is no limit, there is no end to the amount of times that you will forgive your brother who is repentant. So it could be 77 times or it could be 70 times 7. I don't want to park on that and, and decide exactly what it should be. It doesn't really matter. The point what Jesus is saying is very obvious. Whether 77 or 70 times 7, it's the perfect number times the perfect number. Like this is... This is the idea of completion. You always forgive your brother who is coming for forgiveness. Jesus says there is no limit. And so Peter, the answer he gives to Peter is very clear. I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Like, Peter, you're thinking too small. Peter, don't put a limit on this. There's so much more. The idea is you forgive all the time. And so that's Jesus' answer. And I think that answer could also be for us in the times that we might be asking, how far is too far in these things? When Jesus says, don't put a limit on how much you forgive. Don't put a limit on how much you live for me. Don't put a limit on it. There's no reason. It's limitless. And that's what Jesus says. Forgiveness is limitless. I want to take you to Luke chapter 17, where Jesus talks about this very same idea. And it's... <clears throat> And it's said pretty plainly, right? So here you could say, well, it's a little, it's this metaphor of 70 times 7 or 77 times. What is Jesus really saying? Luke 17, 3 and 4, he leaves no question. Leaves no question at all in Luke 17, 3 through 4. It says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Again, even seven times in the same day, you need to forgive him. So sure, surely if you're doing seven times a day, 70 times seven or 77 times, it's this idea that there is a complete understanding that when your brother comes, when, you, when the, your brother sins, they come for forgiveness, you must give forgiveness to them. You must do it. Peter, you must do this. It's limitless. Forgive one another. The Bible is clear on that. And Jesus says here in Luke 17 that over and over again, every time somebody comes and they say, I repent, you must forgive your brother or sister, your, those who are in the community, in the kingdom. So listen, I want to say a few words about this really quickly because there is something important here. So remember what we just read in Matthew 18, about church discipline, about the ministry of reconciliation that we all have as people in this kingdom. Remember that there is a, there is a process and an understanding of how do we deal with sin. We confront sin, sin is then repented of, and now forgiveness is given. Those three pieces come together as we deal with sin. So why do I say that? I say this because in this context... See, I think a lot of people just walk around and say, yeah, I just forgive. I forgive everybody. I forgive everybody all the time. That's just who I am. Now, there is a certain truth in Scripture that says love covers a multitude of sins. So there are some people who they say, you know what? Yeah, I could be offended by that, but I'm not going to let it bother me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm sinned against. And they live in that kind of love. But I want to be very careful to say that when we're talking about uh, forgiveness here in this context... It's in the context of church discipline where there's been confrontation and there's been repentance. And there's a couple things I want to say about that. I think, first of all, I know that I, I've heard, I know some people, I've heard some people who, who do this. And I, and I want to just implore you not to do this. Don't walk up to somebody and be like, I just wanted to let you know that I forgive you. Um, not helpful, right? So you just walk up to somebody, I just want you to know I forgive you. 
Uh, even whether the, the person looks confused, they don't know what's going on. Oh, okay, thank you. Like, what are you forgiving me for? If there's a sin that somebody has committed against you, you don't just walk up to them and say, I forgive you. You need to bring in the other process here. You need to come to that person and say, you know what? I've been, I feel hurt or there's a sin that's been placed against me. There's a sin that I've witnessed and I want to ask, I want to point that out to you and I want to ask you to repent. And that person then might say, okay, I see how I hurt you. I see how this happened. I see how I sinned. I want to, I'm going to, yes, I'm sorry. I repent. Please forgive me. And then you can say, I forgive you. But don't just leave people in a place where you walk up to them and say, I forgive you. Because that's not really the biblical process here. Now, you should have a heart that is always ready to forgive. Because the other thing I want to say about this is I've heard people talk about this and say, you're only required to forgive those people who repent. Now, in a technical sense, here in Luke 17, I think that's true, right? Because forgiveness is to release somebody. And if they're in sin, they shouldn't just be released with no consequence or released with no understanding that they have sinned. Uh, But at the same time, don't use this as a, well, okay, fine. I can just hold grudges and I can be bitter until that person repents. If that person doesn't say I'm sorry, then I can just be mad at them for the rest of my life. That is not the point. A biblical Christian, a person who's following Jesus, is always going to be ready to forgive. That's the words I want to use, ready to forgive. You don't have a heart of bitterness. You don't have a heart of anger. You don't have a heart of malice, but you have a heart that is soft and loving and ready to forgive. So as soon as that person comes and repents, or as soon as you have this conversation with them, your forgiveness just overflows. No question, it's there. To move on and to to forgive and forget, I want to talk about that phrase quickly. Uh, forgive and forget does not mean that you forgive and then like somehow supernaturally just forget that something ever happened. But it means that you're going to forget in the sense that you are not going to hold that person to any type of punishment or any type of retribution for what they've done. So you, you let it go, right? And you let it go, you free them from the bonds when you forgive them. And so forgiveness is important to brothers who come and they say, I repent. But again, let us not just throw this out there. Like, I'm, oh, I'm a forgiving person. I just forgive everybody. There needs to be real dealing with sin before forgiveness is offered. Because forgiving somebody and not confronting them in sin is not going to help them. Keep that in mind. Like, if, you, if somebody sinned against you or is sinning and you say, oh, I just want you to know I forgive you and you walk away, you are not helping them to become more like Jesus. You're not by just giving blanket, easy forgiveness that doesn't deal with sin. So these two things need to go together. There needs to be an understanding of confrontation, an understanding of repentance, and an understanding of forgiveness. They all come together. But in those times where they come together, forgiveness is always given, should always be given. There is no limit. All right, I said a lot more on that than I thought I would, so let's move on to the next part. So Jesus then gives a parable. Because he knows by now that his disciples, Peter, and others around just don't necessarily get it when he just says things plainly. So he's going to give them a parable uh, to explain this further. All right. So Jesus here gives us uh, the next parable, which is uh, what has become known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. So let's read that in verses 23 through 35. Verses 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought into him and owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all he had and payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a very strong parable, a very strong statement that Jesus makes. And again, we look at parables. We cannot make sure that we don't say, all right, I'm going to look at every little piece here and, make, and say that this is going to exactly uh, represent something, right? So this is, take it as a whole. We're not going to break it down in all the little tiny pieces, but we're going to take it as a whole, the things that come out of this parable of what Jesus is trying to say to Peter so that people will listen and say forgiveness should always be offered by people who follow Jesus. And this is his explanation through this parable. The first thing we see in this parable, just like the servant, the servant has been forgiven a limitless debt. So are we. We have been forgiven a limitless debt. It says here that he owed 10,000 talents. Don't get caught up in that question of uh, how much money would that actually be. I've heard estimates everywhere from 6 billion to 10 billion. But really what this is all about when he says 10,000 talents. Talent is, one of the, is the largest form of money, of weight money. And 10,000 is pretty much the largest number that you use. So what Jesus is saying is very clear. This is a debt that is limitless. There is no hope of paying it off. There is nothing you can do to pay off this debt. It is completely impossible. It is so much money that you'd never be able to make enough money no matter what you would try to do to pay off this debt. That is the point that Jesus is making and that is also true of us. We have been forgiven a limitless debt. A debt that we had because of sin. So let's quickly look at what the Bible says and many of you are going to be familiar with these verses. Romans Road, here we go. Romans 3.23 is where we start. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Earlier on in Romans 3, we see that none, there's none good. In Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see here, as we know, but I don't, we know it with our minds, but do we really understand it with our hearts? And do we really think this through, that because we have all sinned, we have all turned away from God. We have all gone our own way. We have all done things in unbelief and in selfishness that have caused us to sin against the holy God who created us. We have all done that. We have all been traitors. We have all turned our backs on him at one point or another, some more than others, but it doesn't matter. The point is we are all sinners. We have all turned away from God, the holy, perfect, just God that created us. We have turned away from him and turned our backs on him. And therefore, now what Romans says, not only have we all sinned because we fall short of the glory of God. We are so short of who he is because we've let sin encroach in our lives. Yes, we're born in sin, but we also commit sin. We sin and are sinners. And so therefore, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't lose the fact that all of us without Jesus have one destination, one place that we are headed, one thing that it will, our life will end with, and that is spiritual and physical and utter death. That we will be separated from the goodness and grace and mercy and love of God forever. And all we'll experience is pain and suffering and the death and the knowledge that we have not received God who loved us so much and therefore there will be everlasting punishment, everlasting retribution. That is what the Bible says is coming to all of us because we've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God and therefore we all deserve death. We don't just deserve to have a bad life. We don't just deserve to uh, have God uh, not give us rewards when we get to heaven. Uh, We have death. Separation from all those things that I mentioned, the goodness, grace, mercy of God. And we, are, and we will not experience those things for eternity. That is, the, that is what we have. That is what we're promised without Jesus. But then thank the Lord for the second half of Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 reminds us of this very thing. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you are dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the son of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... I can't see my whole thing. And by nature... Or, yeah, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Sorry, my thing cut out. All right, so uh, continuing on in verse 4. Uh, but be God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and have raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast. Again, these verses are very familiar to us, but let's point out what we see here. Before Jesus, we were dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. Not just sick, not just, up, not just walking away in a bad way, we were dead. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We had no life within us, we had no hope within us. Because we were working and sinning in the work of disobedience and all of these things. We were living according to the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body and our mind. These things were true of us. But then we see in Ephesians 2.4 that God being rich in mercy, mercy, we didn't deserve it. He gave us, he gave us love and mercy. He, he took away what we deserved to give us much better because of the great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Then he, ra- he has raised us up with him. These are the things that Jesus has done so that he can show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And it's a reminder again that it's grace that has saved us, not our own works. I know these verses are normal. We've all memorized these verses. These verses we hear all the time, but do we really understand them? We are sinners that deserve nothing but death. And yet God, through his mercy and love and grace, 
all of which we have nothing to do to earn, right? We can't earn God's grace or mercy or love. He gave that to us and forgave us our debt of sin for those of us who have come to Jesus and asked him for forgiveness. We have, we have told him, yes, Jesus, I believe who you are. I believe what you've done. And I believe you can forgive me and give me new life. And we trust him for that. We trust him every day. And when we trust Jesus, what we're told is we have been given life. We have been removed from death. We were in the grave, but we have been risen again. We, that is what Jesus has done through his death. He has forgiven us a limitless debt. We could do nothing to pay off our debt. We could do no good. Not a, there was no enough, there's not enough good that we can do to overcome all the sin that we have in our hearts. There is no hope. Just like there was no hope for this servant, he could not pay off of his debt. We could not pay off our debt. And yet God forgave us. And if we understand that, that that's going to change the way we treat one another. It's going, to way, it's going to change the way we view the people in the kingdom of Jesus. And so, we see the first point here. We have been forgiven a limitless debt. Part two of this parable is this. Forgiven people should forgive people. Forgiven people should forgive people. I've said this before and I love this phrase. All the time you hear hurt people hurt people. I I want us as Christians to think this. Forgiven people forgive people. That's what we do. We we forgive people because we've been forgiven. And that's what we see. Now, the, the servant doesn't do that, right? So the servant gets forgiven all of this huge debt, goes and either comes across or seeks out another servant that owes him like, okay, it was like four months pay or something. So it, it was something significant, but nothing, not even a drop in the bucket compared to what this servant had just been forgiven. And he refuses to forgive his fellow servant. He says, no, you're going to pay what you have to owe. And so the understanding here is this is wrong. We see that the king gets upset with that, right? The king says, how dare you? How, how could you not do this? <clears throat> in verse 32, his master summoned him <clears throat> and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? This question is huge. It says, you've been forgiven all of this debt and I gave you mercy. And yet you chose not to show mercy to your brother, to your fellow servant. And so we see very clearly that forgiven people should forgive people. Uh, other passages in scripture show us this. Ephesians four thirty-one through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And Colossians three twelve through 13 says the same thing. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, you, so you also must forgive. These verses make it very, very clear that we have been forgiven by God and therefore we forgive others. We don't live in bitterness and anger and wrath, clamor, slander, malice. Instead of those things, we live with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Forgiveness is the mark of a Christian Like these things are the mark of a Christian. Now, again, these are not things that we do in our own strength to earn favor with God. But the point is we've already been forgiven and therefore they should flow out of us. It should be natural for us to have these things flow out and for the other things to be far away from us. 
slander and clamor and anger and wrath and bitterness should be far away from us as followers of Jesus because he showed us such mercy and such grace and showed us such forgiveness that we should have the same heart towards one another. That is what we see as the truth here in this parable and in the rest of scripture. Unfortunately, there are some people in churches, in church in general, that live lives that are devoted to some of these things. Bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor. But let that not be said of us. Let us follow Jesus in his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. So that's the second part of the parable is forgiven people should forgive people. And I already kind of hinted at this. Part three, those who don't forgive don't truly know forgiveness. Those who don't forgive don't truly know forgiveness. So this is a a key point here, this last couple verses. Verse 34, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers so that he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now this is a hard phrase, this is a hard verse, but let's keep it in context with the rest of scripture. Keep it in context with what we know about Jesus. Keep it in context with what we know about everything else we've already seen. And that is very simply that whether our works, and that includes forgiveness, isn't what saves us. And it isn't what condemns us, right? Uh, We are condemned, yes, because of our sin. But once Jesus has taken care of that sin, the Bible is very clear that that sin is taken care of. It's forgiven once and for all. And we won't have to suffer the eternal punishment that I just talked about if we are truly believers in Jesus. So we need to keep that intention here and understand that what is being said is not somehow that if one time in your life you don't forgive somebody, that automatically that means, well, never mind, taking it back, you're going to hell now. That's not the point. Right? That's not the point. But there is a point being made here that I think is very, very clear. Through the rest of this parable and through the rest of scripture, what is very clear is this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it by using a quote that I found in a commentary by a pastor. And it's from Douglas Sean O'Donnell is his name. But here's the quote. It should be up on the screen. There is no such creature as an unforgiving Christian. That being doesn't exist. Christians forgive. We forgive because we have been transformed by the power of of the gospel. Let me say that one more time. There is no such creature as an unforgiving Christian. That being doesn't exist. Christians forgive. We forgive because we have been transformed by the power of the gospel. Because again, remember, the transformation that we have in our hearts as a result of our faith in Jesus is not something that we manufacture. The transformation that takes place in us is what Jesus does in us through his spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we are transformed. We don't transform ourselves, but he transforms us. And if we're truly transformed by the gospel, if that has truly changed our lives, then it's just going to be natural that we would forgive. An unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron, right? Unforgiving Christians should never be put together because we have experienced limitless forgiveness from Jesus himself. And so therefore, that should push us forward to forgive one another. And so I think the point is very, very clear. Those who don't forgive don't truly know 
forgiveness. If you are a person who is marked, your life is marked by bitterness, anger, clamor, uh, malice, all of those things that we talked about earlier. If your life is marked by bitterness and anger towards people and your life is marked with a, an a attitude of unforgiveness, if that's a word, if that is your life, then you really need to take a moment and you need to step back and you need to say, am I really a follower of Jesus or am I trampling on his gift that he gave me? Like, I might believe in my head that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done what he says he did. But man, I, I, am I living it out? Am I really believing it with how I live? And that is something that is important throughout scripture that we see is true. And so if you find yourself and your life is marked by an unforgiving spirit, then you really need to consider, are you really a follower of Jesus? Because if you're not willing to forgive, have you really understood the forgiveness that you've been given? And that's a question that all of us have to just ask ourselves. So I want to read this verse as a, a sobering reminder in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we're going to read these verses as a reminder of what happens to people who know the truth, but yet don't really act on it or don't really embrace it. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of his covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I just want to read these verses as a sobering reminder that you may have knowledge, you may know in your head who Jesus is, but if you're not following him, following his ways, and one of those things is by being forgiving, a forgiving person. And again, I'm not saying that we're perfect. Keep in mind that there's going to be times that we're going, to lack, we're going to lack forgiveness and we need to repent of that. That's a sin we need to repent of. And God will forgive us for that. But if our life is marked by knowing who Jesus is but not living how Jesus said to live, then what this passage says is there's judgment coming. Don't just assume because you come to church or because you've said a prayer at one point in your life or because you talk about Jesus that that means you really know Jesus. Are you following his example? Are you a forgiving person? Are you a person that is following what he says in his word? And if not, beware of the judgment of God. But if you truly know Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of the judgment. Come to him and ask forgiveness the times we sin. And he will forgive us. And based upon that, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if he's willing to do that, then we need to be willing to do that with our brothers and sisters as well. That's the point today as we see forgiveness. So in conclusion, three questions. First of all, have you realized your debt and received forgiveness? As I've talked about the debt that we all owe, that we have sinned and deserve death, the, the punishment that will be eternal separation from God's goodness, love, grace, and mercy. And if you know that you have not received forgiveness for that debt, 
You know that if you died today, that indeed you would not be able to experience the eternal life that God has offered, but instead would be experiencing the eternal torment of hell. Then today is the day that you need to realize that that God is offering forgiveness through Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, and then he died on the cross. He gave his life in the most horrible way possible, gave his life so that sins could be forgiven, so that he would defeat sin. And then he rose again to prove that he had power over sin and death once and for all. And so therefore, if we come to him, he can give us complete and limitless forgiveness for our sins and give us complete and limitless life, new life in him, hope in him. That is the promise that the Bible says. That is the gospel, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus will forgive us. We just need to come come to him in faith. Trust him that he will forgive us. Believe in him with all of our heart and follow him. That is the good, the good news that we have in the Bible. So if you have not realized your debt, you are a debtor. Receive forgiveness. There is a king who is ready to give forgiveness. He is standing ready to forgive just as the king did in this parable. Will you come to him and ask for it? Second question, is there anyone in your life whom you have withheld forgiveness? This is for us as Christians. Is there someone in your life that you know as you're sitting here that you are harboring bitterness, you're harboring anger, you're harboring resentment for something they've done? It might be something they know they've done. It might be something that they don't know they've done. Then you need to repent of your unforgiving heart, be ready to forgive and go to that person. Confront the sin, be ready to forgive. That is what we're called to do as kingdom believers, as kingdom citizens. So if you know that you're harboring resentment towards someone in this body or somewhere else, a Christian needs to understand the forgiveness you've been given so that you can offer that to others. So go and deal with that sin. Offer forgiveness when, and, and pray that it will be received. That is the heart of a Christian. And finally, is your attitude one that is ready to forgive? Is your attitude one that is really ready to forgive? So maybe it's not even a specific person, but you just need to ask this question. Am I known as a person who is ready to forgive? Am I known as a person that is ready to give people grace and mercy? Just as God gave me grace and mercy and love, do I also give grace and mercy and love to those around me? Or am I quick to judge, quick to get bitter, quick to get angry, quick to forget about all that Jesus has done for me, and I am just a person that is ready to be angry with someone all the time? There are some people that just have resentment in their hearts. And if that's you, again, repent of that. Ask God to help you in that because, again, we can't do this in our own strength. We need Jesus' help to help us to forgive others because he forgave us and he empowers us to forgive others. So go to him and ask. But if your attitude is one that is not ready to forgive, you need to repent of that. If it is one that is ready to forgive, then actually live it out. Be ready to forgive and offer forgiveness when it is time to offer forgiveness. Again, As a kingdom church, we must deal with sin and we must be a forgiving people. And there is no limit to that. Don't play the game that Peter did. Well, surely there's only a certain amount of times I have to forgive. No, the Bible says we forgive completely in a limitless way, just as Jesus forgave us our limitless debt. With that being said, let's sing one more song together as the worship team comes forward.